Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Littmer. I am one of the elders at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for this episode, I want us to notice that there are many wonderful word pictures to be found in God's Word that describe the position of the children of God. Let me show you what I mean. In Deuteronomy 33, Moses is blessing the children of Israel before his death. And in verses 26 and 27, he wrote the following. There is none like the God of Jeshurun, who rides the heavens to your help and through the skies in his majesty. The eternal God is a dwelling place, and underneath are the everlasting arms. And he drove out the enemy from before you and said, Destroy. Did you happen to notice the phrase, and underneath are the everlasting arms? Moses is depicting the children of Israel as being held in the arms of God, enjoying his loving care. I think that sometimes I can still remember what it felt like to be held close in my mother's arms. Look at the picture painted in Psalm 91, verses 2 through 4. The psalmist wrote, I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For it is he who delivers you from the snare of the trapper and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you may seek refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and bulwark. The child of God is seen as being gathered under his wings. That's the same illustration Jesus used when he spoke of his desire for the people of Jerusalem in Matthew 23, verse 37. The Lord said, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her, how often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings and you were unwilling. That is a picture of shelter, safety, and trust. Yet another picture presenting an almost important position for all of God's people is found several times in the scriptures. One such place is found in John 11. In that chapter we read about the death of Lazarus, the friend of Jesus. In verse 32 of that chapter we find, therefore when Mary came where Jesus was, she saw him and fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. We find Mary at the feet of Jesus. And that should ever be the position of every Christian. Jesus is the master. We are his servants. He is the king. We are his subjects. This position is exemplified in the beloved disciple Mary, the sister of Lazarus. We find three pictures of this godly woman at the Savior's feet. We're going to look at each one of those pictures in this episode and find lessons that will truly enrich our souls if we'll let them. The first see the picture of Mary at the feet of Jesus as a disciple. Let's go to Luke chapter 10, verses 38 and 39. We find, Now as they were traveling along, 
He entered a certain village, and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who moreover was listening to the Lord's words seated at his feet. In contrast to the position assumed by Mary, we have the picture of Martha in verse 40. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. This is a familiar picture, one that I am certain is rerun in home after home. A hostess will often find herself distracted, drawn this way and that way. Martha was very busy, bustling about when suddenly she went to Jesus and said, Tell her to help me. But notice the Lord's response in verses 41 and 42. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things, but only a few things are necessary, really only one. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Jesus emphasized what Mary had chosen while at the feet of Jesus. The one thing most needful is food for the soul. And that is the good part. The Lord taught an invaluable lesson on the proper priorities of life. Choose the good part. In John 6 and verse 27, Jesus urged the people, Do not work for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man shall give to you. For on him the Father, even God, has set his seal. Jesus wasn't saying, Don't work for the physical things you need, such as food, clothing, and shelter. But the Lord was saying, keep things in their proper perspective. Martha was bustling about preparing the food and serving, but the good part is the food that endures to eternal life. This food was the word of God that Mary was hearing and learning at the feet of Jesus. Instead of being distracted about things, she chose the one thing that was most needful, and that is the point. At the feet of Jesus as his disciples, we need to lay aside those things that distract us and those things that divide our heart and choose the good part, the really only one, and that is the word of God. It is a question of priority. Disciples are learners. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 11 and verse 29, take my yoke upon you and learn of me. Think of what we learn at the feet of Jesus as his disciples. We learn what obedience is. Jesus said in John chapter 6 and verse 38, For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. To be obedient to God is to do his will, even when it is extremely difficult to do so. Again, Jesus showed us how. You remember Hebrews chapter 5 verses 7 through 9? The author, writing of Jesus, had this to say. In the days of his flesh, he offered up both prayers and supplication with loud crying and tears to the one able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his piety. Although he was a son, he learned obedience from the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect, he became to all those who obey him the source of eternal salvation. At the feet of Jesus, as his disciples, we truly learn what obedience is. At the feet of Jesus, as his disciple, we learn how to live and how to conduct ourselves in all aspects of life. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, we find the following. For you have been called for this purpose, 
since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. The truth is, we cannot walk in his steps without first sitting at his feet as disciples. And to show the world that we have been at the feet of Jesus, we have to translate what we learn into how we live. So let's be certain that we sit at the Lord's feet, choose the good part, and receive the approval of our Lord as Mary did. Thinking of our source passage for this episode, John chapter 11, verse 32, we find Mary at the feet of Jesus in sorrow and distress. We all know that those kinds of times are the common lot of man. We find in Job 14 and verse 1, man who was born of woman is short-lived and full of turmoil. In time of death and sorrow, there really is no one else to turn to, nowhere else to go except to Jesus. Is there any better place to be in times of sorrow and distress than at the feet of the Lord? At his feet, we learn that he is Lord of life and death. Look at the exchange that took place between Jesus and Martha in John 11, verses 21 through 26. Martha therefore said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, your brother shall rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies, and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? Victory over death comes only through Jesus, Lord of both life and death. Not only do we see Jesus as the one who is able to sustain us in our sorrows and who can and does speak such words of comfort, but at his feet with Mary we can learn how much he loves and how deeply he feels as we feel. In John 11 verse 33 we read, When Jesus therefore saw her weeping, and the Jews who came with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and was troubled. It's really difficult to determine the exact meaning of deeply moved in spirit, but whatever it is, it was obviously involved intense emotion. Some have suggested an actual sound of anguish. Still others have suggested that the expression involves the idea of anger, meaning that Jesus was angry, indignant over the sorrow and tears and sin that Satan and death had brought into this world. Then come to John eleven thirty-five. Jesus wept. What depth of meaning. What a world of touching pictures flash across our minds as we ponder the idea of the Lord weeping. But in that word wept, we see a difference from the weeping of Mary's sorrows. Mary was weeping aloud, but the word that is translated as wept indicates silent weeping and involves tears falling down the face of Jesus. They are tears of human sympathy. Jesus knew that he was going to raise Lazarus. He knew that soon the tears and sorrow of Mary and Martha, as well as those of the other friends gathered, would be turned to joy. Yet it is apparent that he thought of the death of his friend and the anguish of Mary and Martha, as well as the tears of the Jews who were gathered there to share the grief, and that moved Jesus to tears of sympathy and empathy. But are the tears a display only of his humanity? No, I don't think so. They also show us an aspect of his deity in that Jesus came to show God's love and mercy and how tenderly God cares for us and feels our sufferings. 
sit at the feet of Jesus and learn of his love for us. Jesus did not just weep. He met the problem of death. Consider John 11:41 through 43. And so they removed the stone. And Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank thee that thou heardest me. And I knew that thou hearest me always, but because of the people standing around, I said it, that they may believe that thou didst send me. And when he had said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. At his voice, the power of death dropped its chains, so to speak, and he that was bound hand and foot came forth. Four days Lazarus had been dead, but time did not affect the power of the Lord over life and death. Let me tell you something, the years may roll on. Those who have died in Christ may rest in Hades. The body may return to the dust from which it was taken, but one day, and don't ever doubt it, the voice of Jesus will be heard again. It will be heard by all that are in the tombs, and all will come forth. First Thessalonians 4 verse 16 assures us of this with the words, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the voice of the archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Compare that with John 5, verses 28 and 29. Jesus said, Do not marvel at this, for an hour is coming in which all who are in the tomb shall hear his voice and shall come forth. Those who did the good deeds to a resurrection of life, those who committed the evil deeds to a resurrection of judgment. At the feet of Jesus, we learn the power of his words. At the feet of Jesus, we find comfort and solace, for he is the Lord of all. In John 14, verses 1 through 3, Jesus said, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. We also see Mary at the feet of Jesus in grateful service. Turn now to John 12, verses 1 through 3, if you're following along in your Bibles. That's John 12, verses 1 through 3. Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, came to Bethany where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they made him a supper there, and Martha was serving, but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table with him. Mary, therefore, took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. That is where we all need to be, at his feet in grateful service. This was the man who was her friend. This was the one who had raised her brother from the dead and taught her the very word of God. The same event is found in Matthew 26, verses 6 through 13. In verse 7 of Matthew 26, we find, A woman came to him with an alabaster vial of very costly perfume and poured it upon his head as he reclined at the table. In verse 10, Jesus said, Why do you bother the woman? For she has done a good deed for me. Down in verses 12 and 13, we find, For when she poured this perfume upon my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever this gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done shall also be spoken of in memory of her. Jesus saw what Mary had done as a good deed. Surely it was an act of kindness and love, an act of gratitude. 
So significant and beautiful was this work of Mary that Jesus said it was to be spoken of wherever the gospel was preached as a memorial for her. As we think about the great things that the Lord has done for us, are we really grateful? Is our service giving grudgingly? Do we have to be begged to attend services or participate in the work of the Lord? Luke tells us of ten men who had the horrible disease of leprosy. These outcasts from society saw Jesus and cried out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. Well, we'll go to Luke 17 and pick up in verse 14 and see what happened. And when he saw them, he said to them, Go and show yourselves to the priest. And it came about that as they were going, they were cleansed. Now one of them, when he saw that he had been healed, turned back, glorifying God with a loud voice. And he fell on his face at his feet, giving thanks to him. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answered and said, Were there not ten cleansed? But the nine, where are they? Where do we fit in? Better yet, where do I fit in? Am I one of the nine? How can I be when I think of what the Lord has done? If we are truly grateful, our gratitude, like Mary's, will be expressed in loving service. True gratitude is ever generous. The Gospels show the value of Mary's gift. Matthew says it was exceeding precious. Mark said very precious. John said very costly. Judas called the use of it such a waste, uh, in, in such a fashion as a waste. But Jesus was pleased with the service. He turned what Mary did into a memorial for her, saying she did what she could do. If we don't do what we can do, is it because we are not grateful? That's something to think about. So as we close, are you at the feet of Jesus? It is where a Christian belongs. We need to be at his feet as disciples, at his feet in loving service. And when the times of sorrow come, that we can have confidence in death and strength in our struggles. At his feet is the one thing needful. Let us be sure that we choose the good part. Thanks for listening.